business thing kicks in to me. Well, three chapters are good. 50s better. So <laughs> we were called a service world back in the day. And this is pre Windows. I mean, it was still DOS. Right. Honestly, I couldn't even turn on a PC. Couldn't, I didn't know how to operate a computer. Let's start from the beginning. How, how did this uh, idea start? Hello, everybody. Welcome to season one, episode one of Suits and Shoes, What It Takes. Today, we're featuring a renowned philanthropist and entrepreneur, Doug Pitt. Doug, uh, actually, early on in his career, he was the original founder of Pitt Technologies. And one of his most recent endeavors is uh, founder of Care to Learn. Uh, along the way, he's had projects in uh, commercial real estate. And uh, as you all know, within an entrepreneurial spirit, there's a lot going on. And so just Care to Learn has had an impact on over 3 million lives. The theme of the podcast is, you know, Doug, you have such a busy life. What does it take to be Doug Pitt? I'd say it's a little bit of a circus. Uh, you got some drama. You got a clown car. <laughs> you got the skillful acts. Uh, there's a whole lot going on up there. But I think that creativity is kind of what makes me work. Yeah. It's, you know, it's you... It's all I know, right? Yeah. So it's the tools that I have, but somehow um, it um, helps me perform. Yeah. You know, a lot of times people, when they uh, they study successful individuals, they have a tendency to start from, you know, early childhood. So if you're okay with that, I'd like to start with childhood. Uh, what was childhood like growing up for you and what impact did that play on your success later on in life? Uh, I got lucky. I had the Norman Rockwell deal, great mom and dad and a neighborhood to grow up and friends. And so my support system was really strong. That was great. But I was always a salesman at... Uh, at five years old, I sold June bugs to my neighbors. Why they would want June bugs, I don't know, especially dead ones, but they were my mom's friends and they bought them. So, but I was the kid going door to door with every competition, selling the, the candy bars and, uh, I wanted to win. I loved the, to be able to have what a, a filled out sheet meant for yeah. me, right? And so I'd come home from school and I'd knock it out till dinner. <laughs> and so I was just kind of a driven sales guy. I liked yeah. those results and uh, why and the what, I don't know. But there was some satisfaction there and uh, I wanted to win. That's awesome. Do you think that was the key to success? Just the, the lucky aspect and starting young, it sounds like from five years old. Or do you think um, it's kind of contingent to each person's uh, uprising from childhood? You know, my dad didn't have a great up. He didn't have that father figure support wise. And, uh, in spite of that, he was successful. So I think everybody has the ability to rally, but no secret. Some, yeah. some have a lot easier path and it's, uh, the high and the how, the why and the what, uh, it's, it's pretty muddy, yeah. isn't it? When you share your success story, do you see yourself first generation, second, third generation? You know, the times are so different, right? It's that it, it's like comparing uh, Jordan to LeBron, right? Yeah. They're just two different eras. They're yeah. both, they were both the best, right? Yeah. And yet there's no single one. It's Tiger Jack Nicholas, right? Yeah. <laughs> so it's, it's within the eras. I don't think that you compare. I think what you can do is just glean what worked, why it worked in the setting that they were at, yeah. right? So I think we're all first generation. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I think that'll be the quote or highlight. We're all first generation. That's very interesting. Now, as, as life progressed for you, uh, you got 
married to a wonderful lady named Lisa. Um, together, you guys have, uh, you know, beautiful family. Do you see your childhood affecting the success of your family? And uh, a kind of follow up question on that is, do you do anything differently in raising your children from the way that you were raised? Again, I had great role models in my parents. But yeah, I think we all kind of put our own spin and flavor on it, right? And to say that I got it perfect, I want my kids to do it different. Yeah. I want them to glean what was good and work. I want them to figure out what I did wrong, yeah. right? And do better on it. So I think we do improve on it. I can just say as a parent, for Lisa and I, there's only three things that matter, and all three of them have a first name, and they're our children, right? <laughs> and the rest of it is really secondary. Yeah. So when you have that kind of heart and commitment behind it, uh, I want the best for them. But I also want to, I want to have the re, to have a realization to step back and say, you know what? I don't always have it figured out. Yeah. I'm 57, still making mistakes, <laughs> and will I'll make them at 67? Yeah. That's okay. That's okay. Uh, but for their own lives, uh, I want them to pick up and do better than I did. Yeah. I, as you know, from a family of 11 siblings, right. <laughs> people always ask my parents, what's that one thing that you did that made your kids successful? Uh, so I want to ask you that question. What do you think is like the single most effective parenting or dad mom that they did in your life that you think played a huge role in your success? I promise you it was nothing that we said. It's what we did, yeah. right? It's, it's, uh, we learn, we watch, and those are the things that speak to us, those things that are so subtle. Yeah. But, and it's also really, what do you do in those tough moments? They're watching you, right? What are you doing in those great moments? What are you doing in those sad moments? Yeah. They're watching mom and dad. So to think I had any great verbal advice, I hope I, I had some nuggets to throw out, but that's not what they learned on, right? Yeah. They learned on whatever they're looking at behind the scenes. So, I feel it was a pretty good model to work on, but again, yeah. uh, we can all do better. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, I, I definitely agree there. I recently had the opportunity to meet someone. I think his name was Rand from Pit Technologies, uh, your social media guy. And he was just praising the success you guys have had. And I wanted to kind of set the scene. So it's 1991. Mm -hmm. You're getting ready to start uh, Pit Technologies. Can you walk us through how that process looked? We were called a service world back in the day, and this is pre-Windows. I mean, it was still DOS. Right, I mean, like it was early. the Wild West, no internet, no early email. 90s. And so, but actually, it was a really great time to enter because it was the Wild West. Yeah. We were trying to figure out what the standards were going to be. And uh, honestly, I couldn't even turn on a PC. Couldn't, I didn't know how to operate a computer. Uh, I just knew it was the future. So yeah. hired some smart people, started out in a little 300-square-foot office, just me and another guy. And... Uh, we, you know, 46 employees today and, wow. and, uh, we had a Christmas party last night, set a record for the year and, and, uh, Amazing. but I've got a great partner and yeah. someone he's, uh, Kevin started with me when he was 18 and now mid thirties and, He's a lot of that success. That's amazing. So early 90s, you mentioned, you know, just the beginning of the Internet era. I imagine it was very new back then. How did your support look like? Do people thinking you're just crazy or did you have like a lot of support? Like, hey, go do something that's never been done before. No, I think uh, everybody knew computers are it, but it had such a mystique behind it being difficult and hard. And you know what it kind of was because there were no standards. And so unless you were just somebody that really really literally geeked out on yeah. it. It was foreign and you kind of had this trepidation even the first time you're trying to, what's a mouse and how's this work yeah. kind of thing. And, uh, but that, with that came opportunity. Yeah. And so our ability to 
be that gap education wise it really came down to service i wasn't selling on a computer i was selling a, an intermediary if you will yeah and that's what we locked on and i think we did better than everybody else at wow. the time they were really focused on selling hardware it yeah. was not the end result hardware was super, you know a computer was three thousand dollars yeah and it wasn't a very fast one either <laughs> but i hear it's really big too <laughs> yes and heavy and the monitors were heavy and but again, that was the opportunity to help remove the mistake yeah. and make it easy. And we really locked, hence the name Service World, we yeah. really locked on that side of the business where we felt others weren't doing that. Yeah. What advice would you have for someone like today, fast forward to, you know, 2023, 2024? Let's use, for example, space travel or something new in our time and age. Uh, what advice would you have for someone to kind of go and explore something new when it's just so foreign to, to today's society? And, you know, we, we kind of went through a little cryptocurrency thing and now AI and there's a whole bunch of things that are going to get created out of that that we yeah. don't even know in a couple of years. And really, that was what my industry was. You know, I'm selling something right now that wasn't around 18 months ago. And then 18 oh, wow. months later, I'm selling something that wasn't around. And so when you grow up in a business like that, I changes kind of the norm. I didn't know it at the time, but that was a real business hack to be able to, to understand change, embrace it. Yeah. No, and really under that's your dynamic in real estate. People don't like to change there. Yeah. It's not a let's do it different kind of mentality per se with me. Whenever I wake up that morning is the best decision. That's the best decision. Yeah. And if it's different than what I told you yesterday, <laughs> tough. It's yeah. why would I ride something out just because I've already invested time and money into it yeah. on a chance that could work? Now I have better information today. So yeah. let's tweak. Let's move. Let's pivot. Let's, and the tech world did that for me. Yeah. So it can be frustrating for family. It can be frustrating for my business partners yeah. because sometimes I may even come off a little wishy washy yeah. or, you know, you change your mind all the time. I do, but there's a rhyme and a reason to yeah. it. And it's more it's more calculated than it looks. Yeah. It can be a little helter skelter at times, it seems like it, but it's not. Yeah. I have new information. I can and so change does not bother me at all. It's what I grew up with. So that advice to those young entrepreneurs, embrace it. Embrace it. You're going to have to, right? You're trying to figure out an industry and really it doesn't even have to be something new and cutting edge. You're opening a drywall business. How do you do it better? It's not a super sexy business. So how do you do it better than everybody else? There's a way. And again, it may be like me in the early days. It's really not about the drywall. It's about the service. Mm. What problems are you solving for your customers? That's what you're trying to hone in on. So, but change can be good. It can be very profitable. Yeah. Wanted to kind of ask you a question on, on that note. I imagine as a successful entrepreneur, you get approached a lot with different services and sales pitches. What is something that stands out to you, whether it's sales of a product or service? Uh, that kind of helps you make that deci deciding decision whether or not to go with that company. Age, <laughs> you know, you just, you're going to get, make bumps, right? Yeah. And early on, you, you may take on some things that you just shouldn't have. And you, it's, there's a little fear of missing out. Yeah. Uh, you see some friends being successful in the arena. You want to be part of it. There's a point you've got to stay in your lane and because your lane's hard enough, right? It's, it's, there's just all kinds of things going on there. But when I start jumping out, trying to invest in things that I really don't know about, 
it takes a lot more work. I'm not saying don't do it. Yeah. I do do it. I do yeah. do it. But the smarter version of me who's older is a lot more calculating. Yeah. And I'm thinking through worst case scenarios. That sounds negative. No, it's smart. Sometimes people think, well, okay, what's the worst? What's the best? Hopefully I'll land in the middle. No. I want to know there's some upside or I wouldn't do it, yeah. but what's the worst thing that's going to take me out? That is my, that's what my decision is yeah. based on. Can I live with the worst? Yeah. If I can't, the answer is no. Yeah. We were definitely learning that at 27 North. Yeah. I remember when we were starting early on, we were doing custom projects and we thought we could do, you know, 50 different floor plans. And then uh, at the same time, I can't remember who it was, told us just focus on one floor plan and one product. And we launched our venture line. And the time it took us to do one custom project, we were doing six, seven of the venture lines. And we had the process honed down. We had the parts honed down. And the margins we were making on our standard line was almost double of our custom projects. So that is very interesting that you highlight that. In regards to investment deals, whenever uh, you're looking at a deal, do you have like a golden number of ROI on a deal or do you just kind of tailor it on the industry? It's also where I'm at in my stage in life. Because I'm in real estate, cash is king. And so there's these highs and lows where I need to be pretty cash heavy running into a deal. Then there's a time in that cycle where I've got a payback on a deal and I'm sitting on some cash and need it to move. So that does affect my thinking sometimes and also runway. If I think I'm not going to need this cash, I might jump into something that I wouldn't on the other side of that cycle, yeah. if that makes sense. But no, I don't have an ROI. Um, one, again, I don't put a lot of stock in in people's blue sky numbers. They yeah. really don't mean anything to me. In, in fact, uh, a lot of times, I'll, if I feel like they're selling me, you're going to lose me trying to impress me with yeah. some big returns. I'm not going to get swayed by it. Yeah. I want to know again what's on the, the low side. Yeah. I have a good idea what it's going to make. I have a good idea where you're going to land. Yeah. And if I can live with that, that's great. But again... You know, right now, if you can't beat a CD and I don't think you can and you're, and I've got way less risk, I'll pass and just take the CD. Right. Um, <laughs> again, base hits and, and doubles. I don't, you know, everything doesn't need to be a home run. Yeah. If so, you'll always be at the plate swinging. And yeah. That's no good. Yeah. For uh, in, in today's society, you have, you know, famous individuals like Kevin O'Leary saying, hey, if it's not 50 percent or doubling. Ridiculous. You know, ridiculous. What yeah. what Super number? smart guy, obviously. But, <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, he's made it. Life, so. And it's easy to say when you're rich, right? Yeah. It's easy to, but uh, my fundamentals don't change based on my bank account. Yeah. It's what got me here. And so if anything, I'm going to tune down to what I know works. Yeah. And it, <laughs> again, there's an inner monologue that happens that I'm even kind of parsing my words a little bit right now because they're just, it almost sounds weird coming out of my own mouth. I don't yeah. speak it, but I know in my heart the mental gymnastics that I do on a deal. And I, and again, this is a lot more mature, Doug, than you had had even five years ago, 10 years wow. ago, because that's the way this thing works. You do get better and better. This, it'd be nice to have been a little smarter <laughs> along the way. <laughs> I think I, we all could say that. I've yeah. left some, a lot of money on the table throughout the wow. years that again, it's, it, it's part of the education, the yeah. price, right? So not that I necessarily go back and change it, yeah. but, um, yeah. It's That's funny you mentioned that. The success. That's so. one of our questions is, uh, what do you feel like is a deal that you missed in your career? And what potential dollar amount would you put on that deal that you missed? 
missed out? Oh, you know, that would always come down to some uh, different real estate deals. And but did it rob me from doing some of the things I did are super expensive? You know, I don't know. It's um, and what I have been more successful with them. I was lucky enough to have a little breakfast thing with Damon Johns and he was I asked him about Kind of the same thing. What what did you miss out on that yeah. you regret? And he said, "Well," and I thought it was I thought it was a great answer. Is that it's yeah they were super successful. That that doesn't mean I would have made it successful. So I can't look back and say I really missed out because you know what this this shark did better than I did on that project, and they yeah. would have made a lot more money. So and they did. Yeah. So to say that was a loss dollar for dollar, I can't say that. I yeah. may not have been as good. Yeah. And so it's the same way on some of these deals. Almost um, like it's a meant to be mentality instead of regret. That's right. And, you know, if I'd had a bunch of brain power there, you know, we built almost a hundred million dollars worth of medical clinics in the last seven, eight years. That oh, wow. was never part of the plan. Yeah. People don't even really know I'm in real estate to that level. And again, I don't talk about it, need to. Do you feel like uh, for an individual to be really successful, that they need to have that strong social network of strong connections? Or do you think that really, like we talked about first generation, if you would say an immigrant or you grew up in the suburbs in a really low income environment, do you think those people have an equal opportunity to those that have a strong social network? The X factor is the want to. Give me an immigrant that wants to, (laughs) and uh, I'll take that over 10 guys with golden spoons, right? Why? That's the X factor that matters. Now, let's don't pretend that uh, access is great. And anything that helps expedite you along the way is great, but give me the X factor all day long. That's awesome. All day long. One thing I did do when I was young that paid huge dividends, we had a group of guys when I was about 25, about 15 of us, and we had a speaker every month come and talk and dinner. And it was a real fireside chat deal. Uh, what worked, what didn't, you know, the whole story. We didn't want to, hear, there was no sales pitch here. It's really yeah. just your life deal. And this was John Q. Hammonds at the time and John Ashcroft and just any, the, the most successful people, Patty Penny and just a lot of local people that we have done well. And I always wanted to know, what did you do wrong? What would you change? And because my brain was saying, if I can learn from them, that's yeah. going to put me that much further ahead than everybody else. So I may have sounded like a negative guy, <laughs> but I always locked into those kind of questions. And so from my 25 to 30, 30 to 35, 35 to 40, I in these five-year chunks, I'm trying to speed up doing better in those yeah. times by really just learning but I did have some some great people along the way, Jack Stack, Jim Anderson, my dad and my father-in-law and just some business people. I wasn't afraid to ask questions. Yeah. Important. Yeah. Super important. To act like you know the answer. You're an idiot, right? I'm in real estate, done a lot of it. And still today, I call up Matt Miller and some of my best friends that are in real estate and we talk shop. And I'm saying, what would you do? It's you need that for yeah. it's force for the tree sometimes, but heck, we're all again, we're still learning all the time. So, what matters. about for someone who's new to it? You've highlighted that mentors are a key role in this. How would uh, someone new in an industry go about finding mentors? You've done a pretty good job. You pick <laughs> up the phone, don't be yeah. bashful, right? Yeah, and uh, that's how you do it. If you want it, go get it, and that's how you do it. Again, as the saying goes, the answer was already no if you didn't ask, right? Yeah. So, what's no? Yeah. Almost and like you have nothing to lose making that phone call. You don't. And the good thing is most successful people, they, again, 
they've gone through the trials and tribulations, the bruises, they've been bloody. They know how hard this thing is, right? They know what it takes to compete. It's almost nice to sit back if somebody wants to know and to help somebody not make those mistakes. So it's probably easier than you think. Yeah. And, uh, but ask questions, ask questions all the time. You know, they talk about guys being proud when they're driving. They won't <laughs> stop, ask for directions. Heck no, I will pull over and you know, my GPS thing can't figure it out. I will ask questions. Why is that efficiency business yeah. thing in me? I, I want to know now. I don't need to save face. Yeah. I don't want to drive around lost. Yeah. I don't want to do that in my business either. I don't want to drive around lost. That's awesome. You had mentioned that uh, a key in scaling a business over, you know, you're going on to a third decade now is pivoting, uh, something that's recently caused a lot of turmoil, I think across all industries is high interest rates. Um, can you cover how you went about that or how you would recommend pivoting a situation like that when rates spike to the degree that they are now? That's a tough one. Um, yeah, it completely changes the dynamic because again, sometimes real estate takes a while to get into yeah. it. So by the time you've spent money and you're emotionally ready to launch, well, you, you your performers were at 4.5, right? Yeah. And now all of a sudden they're at eight and worse. And uh, it doesn't model. And yet, You've had a year of runway trying to get this ready and you need deal flow to keep the machine going and there's some panic that sets in. So yeah. do you go ahead and launch and try or do you, you know, so that is a super open-ended question that's very relevant right now. And it really depends too in your portfolio, what's dragging it down? What other, do you have some wins at some lower rates? Can you maybe do some adjustments there to help yeah. some of your other deals? So. Well, real estate's big right now. So let's use that as an example. So, you know, someone's planning to do a big real estate deal, say $100 million deal. Uh, they have a tenant lined up. Let's call it a, a big commercial property and rates double. Do you think in this uh, economic world that we're living in is something you would keep trying to figure out or ride out the storm mentality? I'm, I'm not a ride out kind of guy uh, by nature. So I've got to talk myself into what's right for the deal. And, yeah. and a lot of times that's the play. You do write it out. But what do banks do? Banks get more conservative and they find partner banks. They don't mm -hmm. want to take on the whole thing either because yeah. they understand their risk. So if a bank wants to bring in partners and l minimize their risk, that may be good for you too. So yeah. maybe it was a deal two years ago I would have taken down by myself. Now it's maybe a deal where I, I'm going to do three partners. I'm just going to do 20% of the deal. You know, I'm, I don't need to be the big entity. Yeah. And so it, again, you're in the environment, you got to play to what works, but you also have to minimize your risk. Yeah. Why bet the farm yeah. ever? Yeah. Ever. <laughs> Unless you're just starting out, you know, and it's like, you know, not a much, you know, yeah. really where am I, what am I going to lose? Yeah. Here? I'll take as much as I can swing at, yeah. but after you, you arrived and got to a place, there are just certain things that you need to make sure you're not risking. Yeah, that's very wise. When you're looking for a partner, you've mentioned a few times now diversifying, whether it be with a bank or an individual, what are you looking for in that partnership? Uh, partners are tough. If you can ever do it without a partner, that's just the way it is. Even the best of times, there's just a dynamic that yeah. raises its head from time to time. Uh, but for economies of scale to grow, it's just, it's part of the, the deal. Oh boy, that's a tough one. I would say it's more about just the partner. It's their family yeah. situation. It's their wife. It's their circumstances in life. There's just a lot that comes into play. And uh, I would advise young people to be very, very careful when it comes to partners. 
you know, a lot of times three or four or five buddies will come together and they'll buy a property and they'll all sign these guarantees. Well, guess what? Things go bad. As long as one guarantee can do it, it, it they'll let the others run. And that's really? what happens. And wow. so you've really got to be careful on what you're signing up for. Multiple partners don't always make it safe unless your your guarantees are segmented to where I'm only responsible for my 20% of your yeah. five, you know. Uh, but young, our banks usually won't do that on, you know, a younger yeah. portfolio of guys. You're all signing up a hundred percent. And so if you have a, this guy has a hardship and leaves and this guy has a hardship, yeah. you're still on the hook for the whole, whole deal. So don't be so anxious to have a deal to be doing real estate. Look at a bunch of deals. You're going to get so much smarter and, and pass on them yeah. and just learn, 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 but be really slow to put your name on a contract. It, yeah. Things get real. Yeah. My dad growing up oftentimes told us don't do business with friends and family. Uh, what is your view on doing business? Let's start with friends and then yeah. uh, kind of go in and feed into what is your recommendations for doing business with family? So starting with friends. Dad's a smart guy. <laughs> you know, my dad was my bank early on. You know, I didn't have 10 cents. And so I borrowed it from mom and dad. And uh, there's a really good and bad to that. One, I got quick access to capital. The bad thing is I got quick access to capital. Yeah, there's nothing more stressful than knowing your parents' money, knowing I'm spending their retirement. Yeah. And if things start to get a little wobbly or the stress of thinking I'm going to lose my parents' retirement, which early on, guess what? It, you know, there were months where I'm just like, I don't know if I can, we're going to make it. I yeah. don't know. Eighth month, ninth month, eleventh yeah. month. You know, it's just, it was tough. And every month, the debt's getting bigger and bigger and bigger. So great motivator. I worked my butt off to make sure that didn't happen, but very, very stressful. And then there's that dynamic of working together with family. That's tough. It's really tough. Either it works or it doesn't, but it's not for every family. And so be careful with that. But the whole, it's that saying things are good when they're good, but when they're not, Things go bad. Well, yeah, friendships get decimated. Uh, family relationships get decimated. And we're talking about money. No. It's over money. But guess what? It's, you know, we're emotional to it. No. It's a business we're all trying to, you know, we're investing our lives in. And I get it. The stakes no. are super high, though, with friends and family. So, yes, that may be the easier access to cash. That may be an easier entry point, but exhaust everything and yeah. into it just for the sake of, of those relationships. They're obviously more important than the business. Yeah. And uh, it's that's about all I can say. Yeah. Just be careful. Yeah. Yeah. That's very wise. So philanthropy plays a big role in your life. I remember browsing uh, your website with my wife and just looking at the work you do in Africa and across the United States. It, it inspired us to want to do something on our, uh, uh, as well. And so let's start from the beginning. How, how did this uh, idea start? I was asked to be on a big brothers, big sisters board in my late twenties. And it was the first board I'd ever been on. And, uh, I'd been a big brother for a kid in college and like the organization. So I joined the board and just a, a unique thing happened. I'm with 20 other people. I'm 15 of them are new. I've never met them. I'm not selling them. I'm not trying to get them to use my computer service or anything. It was just an organic relationship that built around helping these kids. But the end result was all of a sudden 
we're doing business with each other. Why? Because we have this trust built up. I didn't have to make a cold call. I didn't have to put up, you know, a bunch of sales techniques and try to wine and dine and do this. It was just organic and it happened. And it was just this greatest win-win. We're all here together with this great cause, helping these kids. And in the end result, I also get business out of it. Pretty good. That's awesome. So all of a sudden I'm on seven boards, right? (laughs) And uh, it was too much. I overplayed, played my hand a little bit. And I take board seats very seriously. If I can't contribute, uh, don't take a seat. Don't don't be that guy. Yeah. It's it's uh, there's too much at stake for these charities. They're there for a reason to help. Yeah. And if you're not part of the solution, and you're really not contributing, give up your seat. And the flip side, organizations need to treat their board seats as gold and be super protective of yeah. those. And so I did, I kind of, I whittled that back in the day, but it was a great win-win. And it really just, I got to see a lot of different uh, charities in my, in Springfield where yeah. I grew up. And, but uh, the Care to Learn, working with the World Serve in Africa, those, you know, a couple of things, I've always said they choose you. No, I didn't choose Care to Learn. There were some circumstances 15 years ago that happened. I'll call it divine intervention. And within a week, I knew, I knew we were going to do something. Didn't yeah. know it was going to be called Care to Learn. Yeah. I didn't even really understood the framework. I just knew there's a kid three miles from me right now hurting and I can, I can raise the money, but I can't find that kid. So we'll work with the school we'll go, and we'll set up the infrastructure. And uh, we started raising money and spending it uh, before we even had the name. Wow. So. Whenever you're looking at like the, the numbers right now are 3 million plus, that's that's an overwhelming amount. Uh, what would you say time frame for someone that, you know, wanting to start philanthropy work? You know, how, how do you set those goals and how do you achieve, you know, having such a big impact? I sat down with a, a really successful guy here in Springfield who has started a great charity. And he was, his asking was just that I need to grow it, but I'm basically, I'm getting worn out. Yeah. There's only so much I can do. And the biggest thing you can do also in your companies, you build infrastructure, you hire great people, you partner with great people. Right. And uh, I was fortunate enough to do that within Care to Learn that we have great people. And so that's our ability to grow. And that's why we've grown as much as we can. I have so much pride when I can step in the back of the room and I'm watching this unfold, all these leaders and board members and volunteers and just this machine is happening. And I sit back and drink coffee at that <laughs> and just watch it happen. It's yeah. a beautiful thing. I'll always be super involved, but uh, having a machine that runs outside of you is is the goal. Yeah. A lot of times when successful philanthropists are asked, hey, did you think it have such a big impact? They oftentimes say no. Is that how you feel? Uh, when we started it, there was only going to be one chapter. There was no grand plan. And uh, I give Steve Kleinsmith, who was the superintendent, Nixa credit at the time. He heard about it and said, we want it in Nixa. Well, Ozark heard about it. Nixa gets it. They <laughs> want one. So Ozark did it and has done phenomenal. They've been a great chapter. But then um, again, business thing kicks in to me. Well, three chapters are good. 50s better. So <laughs> And I was ready to get there. And uh, I remember going at that time, we had about 15 chapters and I went to my board and this is Jack Stagg, Jim Anderson, Jerry Harmison, Stephanie Montgomery, Maury Mecklen, Matt Miller, uh, John Wanamaker, I'm leaving out probably a couple, Bobby Allison. We had some really good business people on there. And I went to them with that goal of 100. We're going to get 100 chapters. And they're da-da-da. 
And they told me, sit down. <laughs> well, no, we're not. And uh, I'm not used to hearing no a lot. Yeah. <laughs> and maybe I need to hear it more, but super great wisdom. We didn't have the infrastructure to, to do that. It would have been a nightmare had I tried to grow that fast. And uh, again, you're taking a board seat. Yeah. You're not yes people. You're there for a reason. Yeah. So exert your experience. They felt I was wrong. They told me I was wrong. <laughs> I have to check my ego and understand, all right, why? what are they telling me that? And why am I hearing this in math? Yeah. So there must be something there. And they were right. Absolutely right. So I, I like the chutzpah. I like yeah. what's <laughs> inside of me wanting to get there. But at the same time, I appreciated their wisdom. Yeah. Uh, we're at 47 chapters wow. today. Uh, we will cross 50 this year. We'll, we're all in the state of Missouri. Uh, we will be jumping borders here soon. That's exciting. And we have the infrastructure in place to do it. We have a, an amazing staff. We have great leadership uh, on our board and within our employees. And uh, that had to happen first. Yeah. Just it. Yeah, I listened to one of your leaders speak recently at an event. It was really inspiring. It's like... Crystal? Yeah, she was speaking as if she, she like started it. Like Love it was it. hers. Love and, it. That's so inspiring to be able to do that. How do you get that level of commitment, whether it be in philanthropy work or in the, in the business realm of things? Well, we talked about the X factor a little bit. And again, there's something within Crystal herself that uh, you're not going to get out of a class. Yeah. And so it's just finding uh, she's a, she's an entrepreneur in the nonprofit space. Yeah. That's it. Wow. She wants to grow. She wants but it's the attention to detail. When we do a business card or we do our logo or anything with Care to Learn or World Serve, it is first class. And it's not to be ostentatious. That's that's not it. It's to be professional. You're asking me for my money. I don't want to know that you're working out of the back of your truck. I need yeah. to know that you are stable, that you're professional and you're going to do what you say you're going to do. Yeah. And you're going to be a good steward of my money. And so, but it's also our optics. That's the way our brain works. Why do we spend so much time on advertising things because certain things resonate with people. I've got to remind you that we're alive here to learn. I got to yeah. remind you of the services that we do and we're no different. Yeah. We are a business. That's amazing. Whenever you're growing your philanthropy work, what are some steps you're taking right now to ensure that that legacy continues um, after you retire or step aside? One, I'll never retire. <laughs> I won't. I want to de- I'm going to be doing business deals at 109. Uh, <laughs> I, I think that's what keeps you. Keeps yeah. you going. But again, it's just part of my interest and what I like. But the sustainability part are, again, others. There are just certain things you have to turn over and build a machine that can run outside of you. That's hard for a lot of founders. They want to be the, you know, they're that, you know, dominant personality, hard charging person that are used to pulling levers. We're not always the best one to do it. There are days Crystal's just better at it than I am. And there's days that our board members are better than me. So we've got to just find out our fits and things. There's life's cyclical, right? I mean, there are just times, you know, family happens and there's some good and some bad. And uh, there's some times you're worn out. There's some times you're energized, right? And so you got to listen to those and, and let that work. Um, I, I listen to those. 
I listened yeah. to that part of my life. And again, a younger version of me didn't. It was yeah. charge, charge, charge. There's just some days you got to realize uh, you need to defer. You need help. Yeah. I'm learning that reputation's big, whether it's in philanthropy or in business. And I've been following your journey for a long time. I, I think the first time was freshman year of high school. This had to have been almost 15 years ago. Stepan, my first employer, did some work for you and he spoke very highly of you. And from that very first time I heard about you and how highly he spoke about you and your reputation to a most recent example. I remember earlier this year when I was seeking funding at a bank and someone asked me like, hey, how do you know so much about it? And I said, well, uh, Doug's taught me a lot. And they're like, oh, Doug, he's so successful and this and that. And just the power your name carries, whether you, uh, you know, humbly decline it or acknowledge it or not. How does one build such a strong name and reputation? And then how long do you think that took you to reach in your life? It probably goes back to what I was referring about my kids. It's not the things I say, it's the things that I do, right? What they're watching you when you're not speaking. They're seeing how you act, what's held up the longest. It's the work of what it took to build the charities. It's not me going out and saying, hey, I started this charity. So I appreciate that. Again, I'm not keeping score. I don't, I'm not looking back that way. And I really don't know. I do know it's easy to lose your name though, yeah. that fast. And so I will do everything in the world I can to protect it, but I'm pleased to be to be looked at in that light. And obviously some wins help you get there, but I'm a pretty quiet private person. You know, the relationship of what my brother is has kind of forced some of that, but it, there's some some protectionism there. And then also George Thompson from Thompson Chevrolet, he's not with us today, but I was talking with him, just kind of a little question to answer thing. I had him kind of one-on-one and was just yeah. picking his brain. And he was talking about their online sales at the time. And it was very successful. And I was like, I had no idea. I didn't even know that you were doing that. Yeah. And, and he looked at me and said, and why would you? Why would I tell anybody? Yeah. And I thought, that's pretty smart. I mean, he's figured out a business the way to cash flow and, and move cars and do what he does. But he did not jump, you know, hitting his chest saying, look at me, look what I'm doing, how great it is. Uh, he was just locked into business and uh, it wasn't a need to, to brag or boast. It was about doing good business. I got to know you a lot more, you know, being here in Springfield, Missouri, and just following your journey for over 15 years now. You had mentioned your brother. Do you feel like people attribute that to you? And if so, how do you work on, hey, it's me and not about my brother? Well, I don't speak to this very often at all. Hardly never. It can be tough having a famous relative and, and, uh, there's a, let's just say that uh, sometimes celebrity siblings and family become memes for, yeah. and well earned, but there's a lot of pressure. It can be. And for me, I just had to compartmentalize the fact that I'm going to be responsible for me. I got to do Doug the yeah. best way I can. And so really it's a non-event for, he's been famous for what, almost 30 years now yeah. at a high, high level and super proud of him. I mean, super supportive, but I had to know my success had to be separate for me. Yeah. And he's super generous, would do anything I needed or asked. I just didn't want to be in a position to have to. Yeah. And so back to working with family, it uh, we're better as brothers yeah. than business partners, I'm sure. Yeah. And so, you know, who knows, maybe later in life, I've kind of made my bones. He definitely has it. You know, things could work out a little yeah. different, but um, let me know if you ever figure it out, because I haven't figured out how to work with my brothers. <laughs> if you find the secret to that, make sure you 
bring me up to speed. Yeah, I've noticed, you know, following your journey that you've done a really successful job of building your own name and the way your name carries. I mean, it's astonishing. Uh, even whenever I was uh, announcing our interview, uh, I had some individuals, one of which was a president of the bank, uh, message me on LinkedIn and asked me, hey, how did you secure that interview? And, uh, you know, it's all relationship based, of course, and you just having a good heart. But what do you think was the pivotal moment in your career? Was it your entrepreneurial journey or your philanthropy, or maybe it's a combination of both that you felt like now you know your net worth? You know, my 40s, probably. It really took. It's almost like a life journey. It really does. You know, I sold my computer company when I was 40. I'm 57 now, but I bought it back eight years later. But there was that was a pivotal moment to where I could take a breath and it really did put me on the path for some other things that I could look at that were just coincidentally happened to be the year we started Care to Learn as well. So or really about a year after. So really right in that time frame. But yes, just that was a big cultural shift and personal shift for me. What made you want to come back and buy a business that you had sold? I didn't. I trusted in Kevin, my business partner. Yeah. He, again, he started with me when he was 18, working the front oh, desk. Wow. And we had started a little company and we sold it. And this is why we still had the, it was a little side deal and, and we sold it. And so we did another one and it became very, very profitable. And we were actually utilizing the, our own company as our workforce. And it got to be such a big part of our company is why we decided to offer them to buy the whole thing back. And that was Kevin coming to me and saying, Hey, let's do this. Where my, I was already doing a lot of real estate. My yeah. brain was kind of moved on to the next thing. And uh, I just believed in him. I trusted yeah. him. My gut said he's worth fighting for. Let's do it. That's awesome. And he proved me right. That's awesome. It's very fundamental. It seems like in a lot of aspects of your life, it's more about the people and the service and not so much the product. And he's grown it. It's bigger than I ever had it. Wow. It's more that's, profitable than I ever had it. And he's had more bigger, bigger numbers than I ever did. Wow. So by the smart guy received. <laughs> That's so neat. Um, in regards to trusting, trusting people, do you feel like there's a certain time? My father-in-law oftentimes says you need to walk with them, them like 10 years, or is it just kind of situational based on the person before you have the trust to let them step up and take lead in one of your uh, entities? There's a gut thing going on. And it's, I live and die by it. Yeah. You just do. And I maybe do, again, the smarter version of me is a little slower to act. You know, I'll ask more questions. I'll be a little bit more diligent and what needs to happen. But what is happening, what I think is happening, I'll do a little bit more research. I'm a little bit more off the, the hip than I am now. Again, just wisdom. Wisdom. But my gut, I just I have a feeling. Yeah. And both ways, an earlier version of me, you know, I want to be polite. I want to be respectful. And sometimes I might even had a check in certain situations. And I'm kind of like, eh, I you know, I want to be the peacemaker and ride some things out. Where to not, now, I don't suffer fools. I don't suffer situations. No's no, yeah. needs to be no. And not that I'm not worried about feelings and, and harming. I'm not ever going to harm somebody, but sometimes I'm harmed by allowing things yeah. to happen. And I, and uh, I'm a little bit more resilient and what Doug needs for his life to yeah. be happy. We are in this like social media, TikTok, Instagram era. It's awful, isn't it? <laughs> it is. I noticed you don't have a large presence. What is what is your view on that? Oh, you know, I'm guilty too. I live on my phone and it's awful. And I do kind of some forced downtime and it's almost refreshing, right? Yeah. The social media thing, hey, it's a great tool for business. And if you can maximize it to get exposure in some areas, 
ways, then more power to you. You're dumb not to, right? Yeah. It's the personal, uh, let's tell the world and show them everything. It's just gross to me. <laughs> Is that in regards to personal life or business or both? No, it's probably more personal. Yeah. Get smart with your business. It's a tool. Your, yeah. your competition's doing it. You have to. And yeah. so we're somewhat a prisoner now to the technologies, but the whole uh, self-grandizing and, and look at me thing, it, it's, it's gross. Yeah. I'm not a fan. You've mentioned some really big names and those names and even including your brother don't have that big social media presence. Do you think that's a common thing in successful people? I don't want to speak for my brother, but his he, the best way he's always dealt with the press is don't look at it. And so I would read something, hear something, and I'd call him and say, what what happened? You saved a dog on a beach, which was a literal story. This, and he's like, what are you talking about? You know, and these stories would be in great detail of what happened. 100% made up. Oh, wow. Um, and so most of it is, by the way, literally wow. 100% made up. Not Completely a fraction of truth, not a little snippet of. And so the way he dealt with it is just to do nothing. Yeah. Not a bad way to, to handle it. I didn't do a lot of the... Uh, and you know what? I wish I would, had done Twitter early on. It had been a great forum for my nonprofit work. Yeah. And uh, I didn't do it because early Facebook was... How's your brother? <laughs> Did you see him? I loved his movie. Nice stuff, right? <laughs> oh, my eyes were just glazed over and it just, I didn't want to be answering yeah. those questions. I didn't want people having that kind of access for yeah. that reason. So I missed out. I guess that in half probably answers the next question that I'm going to have. When you do see or meet these people that have this, like, I want to say kind of false flex, uh, how do you define true success? Or how would you, when you're analyzing someone, kind of not judge them, but in a way say, hey, is this person's successful or no, this person is not successful. Judging success is relative. I made a choice to live in Springfield, Missouri and raise my family here and work out of here. Had I decided to go to Manhattan and live, would I be more wealthy? Sure, I would have. Would uh, would it have been a better life? Could have been. Maybe not. Maybe so. So um, my measurement is where what I chose, what I chose to allow, and what did I maybe replace it with is not a great word. So again, success to me is having a healthy life healthy family. Again, waking up, getting to be able to establish my own calendar. To me, that's success. That's and so if I'm measuring that by a bank account, there are people a lot more wealthy than I am, but maybe not as happy. Yeah. And, you know, there are people that maybe don't have the, the resources that I do that are feel that they're super happy. That's what that's the goal. Yeah, that's the goal. It sounds contrived. It sounds like, yeah, that's easy for you to say because, you know, you can wake up and kind of make your own decisions and that's fair yeah. you know there's some i get it but at the same time it's true so it's not necessarily like the right now i think it used to be like oh if you make a million dollars you're you're successful i think now it's a, a billion or there's even conversations about a trillion it's not so much a dollar amount right i'll tell you this uh, if you're chasing a dollar amount the goalpost never it stops it's always going to get moved you say two million's the goal if i could live if i had two million liquid well then that's great i could live off the interest i'd never have to you know i i'm yeah. set yeah that is crap <laughs> you get to two million you want five and yeah. as soon as you hit, you're about to hit five, it's 10. Yeah. And then all of a sudden it starts exponentially. Well, what would it take to get to 25? And then it's to think that you can shut that down. That's a rarity. Yeah. I've never met one. I've never met a person business-wise who operates that way. Because yeah. your brain as business people, we're, it's churn, right? Yeah. But to be able to actually shut off the faucet and say, okay, 
I'm done making money and I want to just live this life out. Hey, more power to you, but I'm not that guy. And so how do I work within that? But that's a false, uh, that's a false idea that the idea that you can hit a number. I noticed the more and more people I meet throughout my life that goalpost does always move. I, I remember one time I told someone that, Hey, we just broke 10 million in revenue or into our not even full two years. And they're like, Oh wow, we did that yesterday. And I'm like, what do you mean? like in one day, <laughs> like, wow, all this hard work. Uh, what's the net? What did you net? Yes. Yeah, yeah. That's you the know, real question. It's so funny. Our business magazines, they, they grade you on what's your gross yeah. and how many employees. Those are the two dumbest numbers <laughs> of all time, right? If I can make more money with you know, my real estate company, we have three people. Wow. I've almost done a hundred million dollars. Wow. Well, then you are in, yeah. in, in holdings. Well, then if you have a company that has 50 employees and you've done X, which what's better a gross number means nothing to me i don't even care about that number wow what you net at the end of the day that's the number that matters right yeah but we don't measure that way <laughs> so you make the number one on the list because you have the most employees well you may be also the most inefficient company out there so that's going to be my new question anytime someone brags about their revenue i'm just going to coach you what you net what you net yep. <laughs> that's awesome there's uh, there's so much going on in the world today, and I'm sure you get it all the time. I get it all the time. People asking, you know, what is your outlook on the next presidential election? Me being from Ukraine, you know, what's your outlook on Ukraine? Uh, what's your outlook on what's going on in Israel? Uh, I wanted to first start kind of global aspect and then kind of work our way towards Missouri. And so starting globally, what is your outlook on all the kind of geopolitical world wars and uh, different economies and globalization? Just kind of what is your outlook on the world in general i'd like to think people are good people that are greedy as well and so we're always going to have wars we're always going to have these these conflicts i've had the the privilege of traveling a lot i've worked in africa since 2006 been there over 30 times and have met some amazing people and served some amazing people and so at the end of the day i'm optimistic things will work out can we be better global citizens absolutely do we need to think globally absolutely Uh, at the end of the day if it's a child in ukraine a child in tanzania a child here i just said it. it's a child right and so i would encourage people to go where their heart is you know if i'm not called to canada yeah. But there's a lot of kids hurting there, but there's people that are, you know, yeah. uh, something inside of me wanted to help children and people in Tanzania and, and East Africa. So yeah. that's my, yeah. the thing that chose me and that's the way I can make, you know, influence yeah. and care to learn and hear, you know, some things happen. So I would just encourage people to think globally and act lo- locally, as they say, but uh, at the end of the day, act socially the same, yeah. you know. I've kind of came across two views in this, you know, going through the new year and uh, all these holidays. There's people that say, hey, what's going on in the world is not as bad as what was going on 20 years ago. And there's people saying, hey, you know, it's end of the world. Like, let's hunker down. What kind of viewpoint do you take? I'm not real fatalistic. I'm, uh, and plus at the same time, I can only control what I can control. So right. uh, I happen to be a faith-based person. And, you know, all I can do is pray for guidance and be the best version of me to help help my family and my friends. And again, those in our charity, but that's my sphere of influence. So yeah. I'm not going to get too worried outside of that it's not going to do any good yeah yeah i like that <laughs> i like that a lot so now let's uh let's work our way towards the united states we have a presidential campaign coming up we have uh, you know so much going on just you know interest rates and all this what is your outlook for the uh, united states of america 
I have no reason to not believe we'll be number one in the categories that matter. I believe we are super resilient. I'm going to fly the flag literally, and I feel good things ahead. The political thing is tough for me. It's a shame. You can't, most people, business people can't afford to run, yeah. you know, and, and again, that the, the presidency it comes down to being a billionaire if you can run. And, yeah. But outside of that, we have a lot of great people in local politics, state politics that will never be able to run because they can't afford the, the pay cut. Mm -hmm. Right. And so it's set up for people that maybe don't have the experience. And yet, I mean, think about it. You have people that literally never manage a million dollars and they're making what billion dollar decisions. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it makes no sense. Yeah. You know, we're the largest company as the United States. And yet we're run by people that don't understand economics yeah. and our businesses would die if we did that right, right. let's take a senior you know a kid who's taking accounting class and have him come around and be the cfo for your company i mean that's basically what we've done that's oh, the way the system's set up and i'm not taking a dig at anybody we, we've got some great qualified politicians but at the same time the business way that we've set it up is just wrong yeah. and so we kind of get what we get i wish we had more business oriented candidates and unfortunately, it becomes too situational into some belief structure versus it's the ability to run a company. Yeah. And uh, I think it shows. If you had the opportunity to to go into politics, what do you think your number one kind of cause or initiative would be for Missouri? I, I laughed a few years ago. I was asked by a Republican side and a Democrat side <laughs> about running for the same <laughs> office. And it, it was kind of funny to me that neither one of them knew where I stood. So right. I, I kind of like that. But again, I would get back to competing. Yeah. I, we can do better in competing with other states. And it really is kind of that nonprofit model, too, is yeah. that, well, it's politics. No way. This is super competitive. And so what industries are we getting our butt kicked in? Yeah. Where's the money and what what's the lost opportunity? Let's get super aggressive on those and let's go compete. And yeah. I guess I don't like being on the bottom of any list. And when I see those, you know, in education or where in a, certain things that were not in the top half, at least, yeah. I would get fired up about that. But for me, it'd be, how do we make this business better? So wow. I, I'd want to- Almost looking at the state like a business. Oh, absolutely. That's amazing. Absolutely. So uh, wrapping it up, you've had a lot of good points and uh, something that is uh, very practical in today's society is a lot of pressure between brands. And so the reason I went with Suits and Shoes for this uh, season and podcast was because uh, I want to kind of not so much expose as inspire people that even the most successful individuals sometimes are just like ordinary people. I mean, they are ordinary people. And so the first good portion of this podcast, we covered what it takes to wear the shoes of a successful entrepreneur or what it takes to be in the clothes of someone that has a busy lifestyle. Now I'd like to really uh, just talk about as it is, what kind of shoes do you prefer wearing in your day to day life? They're going to be more tennis shoes at this point. In fact, there was a coffee table book called Hippie that we moved out of the way to get these mics set up. I, I think that's really more of the, the inner monologue of Doug yes. is uh, where I'm comfortable. Yeah. Do you see yourself wearing like a suit and tennis shoes? Heck no. <laughs> um, but for me to wear a tie, something either really good happened or really bad, bad happened. happened. <laughs> and um, it's, it's just, I feel fortunate again in my career to be more relaxed. That's more of my style and where I'm comfortable. Yeah. 
it's fun to dress up every once in a while, right. but I kind of did my time, if you will, <laughs> of wearing of ties and needing to do that. Yeah. And, uh, and that's uh, one perk of kind of that phase of life where you yeah. can make some of your own decisions. So you have your uh, philanthropy side and your business side. Uh, how would you describe your, your dressing, uh, your clothes that you wear on the business side? And then how do you describe it on the philanthropy side? I'm going to wear the exact same thing. Really? That's yeah. awesome. <laughs> the exact same thing. Yeah. And it'll be comfortable too. Comfortable. <laughs> um, how do you define, do you do like uh, pants and a dress shirt or do you just like, how do you define uh, comfortable clothing? Well, for me, it's this, literally it's the shirt with the t-shirt and uh, you're going to see, you're going to see this. This is basically what I'm wearing. Yeah. And I, I want to respect the situation that I'm in. So again, if I'm at a, maybe a bank board, I'm going to, I'm going to dress up for the occasion. I want to, I want to respect the place that I'm at. A social deal. Make sure you're not the worst dress. Make sure you're the best dress. I'd yeah. rather be overdressed than under, but right. so dress to your occasion, but, um, comfort's on my brain. <laughs> And it's just part of my style. It's what I. Yeah. Do you think that came uh, early on in your career? Or is that something you've acquired through life? Oh, uh, I don't even. It's just, again, paying attention to yeah. details. Yeah. That's awesome. And then for those of you that are curious and constantly asking, uh, about me, I, I kind of take the same approach. Uh, I tried early on doing the whole suit and tie and I just, I couldn't, I didn't feel like myself. And I kind of found my comfortable, uh, self is a casual dress shirt and just golf pants. I don't know why, but I didn't grow up golfing. Um, but, uh, of, of times. Like golf. Yeah. I know that. <laughs> <laughs> yes. You did very well. <laughs> Uh, I would, I would definitely say you're on the pro level. <laughs> and so, yeah, I, a lot of days I'm just in some golf pants or some khakis. Uh, definitely comfort is key for me. Well, Doug, I really appreciate it. Uh, I appreciate your time with us. Uh, we are going to do a, a giveaway. Um, we're going to give away a pair of AirPods. So, uh, if you'd like to, uh, subscribe and make a comment and out of the comment section, we're going to pick someone to gift a pair of AirPods. And so that as you continue your entrepreneurial journey, um, you can listen to podcasts like this one that will have a positive impact on your life. Thank you so much. Best to you.